Hello, and welcome to What's Mine is Mine with Bianca Lynn, a podcast where I talk to my friends and peers about our experiences as Black and Brown professionals. This podcast is a reminder that what's mine is mine, and our destiny and future accomplishments already has our name on it. No one or nothing can take away what we're supposed to do. There will be challenges, but it doesn't matter because what's mine is mine. For the past nine years, today's guest has selfishly volunteered his time as the director of Sons of Someone Incorporated, a youth mentoring program in his hometown of Elizabeth, New Jersey, where he provides guidance, support, and opportunities to the youth, empowering them to overcome obstacles and reach their full potential. He's active in reintegration efforts throughout New Jersey, assisting ex-offenders to secure employment and access educational opportunities. Through his tireless dedication and passion for social change, this community leader and role model uses his own experiences and expertise to uplift and empower those around him. He is Antoine Nelson. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. Yes, of course. I love seeing all the updates that you share on Facebook about your work. And it is just very inspiring to me, especially being from the same town. Right, right. So let's start with your journey. How did you get into mentorship and motivational speaking? It just something that culminated over time, just my journey through life, the ups and downs that it took to get where I'm at. And I know coming from the urban environment where we come from, a lot of people face similar journeys. So getting into it was me trying to reach back to help the youth find a way. Like I wanted to provide a shortcut for them. Because of the, some of the things that I went through and I know some of the challenges that they face, I wanted to help them out and give them a, a, a smoother path than I did. I think that is such a blessing. What was a challenge? Like you had that passion, but how do you put it down to be like, okay, so now I want to run this nonprofit organization. And then of course you need money to sustain living. So right. how was that? Once you figured out that was your passion, what did you do to make it that reality and sustainable for you. All right. So to go back a little further, me growing up in Elizabeth and some of the things that I went through, I ended up going to prison. So me coming home from prison, I was 25 years old. I had never had a job before. I was just in the streets making money. My finances, all my finances came from illegal activities. So when I came home at 25 years old, I had to start all over again, like I had to start fresh, getting my first job, going back to school so I can get my college degree. And along the way, I kind of stumbled upon my first actual career changing job was working in a halfway house with incarcerated individuals, just trying to help them. And then while I was attending Rutgers, I stumbled upon a program where the Rutgers students were able to go into the elementary schools in Camden, New Jersey, and help tutor the youth. So those two things, working in the halfway house, helping people get in their life together while I was getting my life together, and going to college and being able to tutor elementary students, all of that kind of changed me. It changed my path. It made me want to continue to do the work to help the community and underprivileged populations. So that was how I started with the path and this mission that I'm still on. But as I grew, as I went up the ladder and I was working in, in the fields of nonprofit work with homeless shelters, helping create construction programs for single women on welfare, 
working in halfway houses, all types of reentry work throughout the state. I just, I learned the business and I learned how much these businesses were making off the services that I was providing to the people, right? Mm -hmm. So from there, once I really learned the business of how some of this stuff worked, I always wanted to tweak it to, to fit my vision on how I want to mentor kids or how I want to help people coming home from prison. I always say this is my secret sauce. Coming home and, and trying to get your life together is more than just getting a job. For me, it was helping out in the community. And I started, shout out to October, because this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I got my Bahia's Girl Power shirt on. This is one of the reasons why Bahia is a close friend of mine. It's her mother. She passed away two years ago. I started walking the breast cancer walk. I didn't really know what it was. I just went out there one day and I just saw like thousands of people walking and everybody got their pink on. I'm like, nobody's getting paid for this. This is just community stuff. I'm like, okay, this is cool. So I, I started off with like breast cancer walks and autism awareness walks. And then I just started doing one-on-one mentoring with kids, just helping them with that. And as I was doing this work in the community, I start to create relationships with elected officials and different organizations that's uh, doing the work in the community. My relationships with community activists and the elected officials is what propelled me to where I'm at right now. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned you went to prison. You were mostly getting all of your money from the street. I know that the mentality is different because it's faster. There's no taxes. But notoriously, we know that a lot of people who work at nonprofits, they're really not making a lot of money. So what was that like mentally? Because I think in general, even if anybody transitions to a nonprofit type of job, that is some adjusting. Yeah. So not even a nonprofit, just coming from making straight money to earn income. You think about it. If we go back 15 years, the minimum wage for me, 25 years old, coming home from prison with no job history. First of all, I'm competing for jobs with high school kids. I'm competing for jobs with people who don't have high school diploma. So coming home from making thousands because it was different points of time where we was making, I could make $5,000 before noon, right? Mm -hmm. From going from there to making $10 an hour, which was like minimum wage at the time, eight, nine dollars an hour, you have to really be disciplined to leave that life, you know, because I could make one transaction on the streets and that would be my week's pay at a regular job. So just being disciplined. And for, for me, it was family, children. I didn't want to go back to jail. It was never something that I planned. Nobody plans on going to jail, but it was never part of the path that I thought I was going to take. But once I got into the streets, I really thought that I was going to make a million dollars in the streets. Like I calculated in my head how I was going to make it. It wasn't hard to make, but what I didn't calculate is getting locked up. I didn't calculate some of my best friends going away to prison for a long time, for life. I didn't calculate some of my friends dying. You know, I didn't calculate getting shot at. Like I didn't calculate the time away from my family. You know, so when you put everything into perspective, I'd rather work a job than have to risk my life and my freedom 
of having to go back to jail. My whole mindset when I came home, I wrote myself a letter of things that I was going to do and things that I wasn't going to do. I wasn't sure yet because the street money was very, very enticing. I wasn't going to lie to myself, but I wasn't sure yet if I was done with the streets. But through time and discipline and still being connected and working with people in the streets, I see more friends dying, more friends going back and forth to jail. And then my kids is growing and I vowed that I didn't never want to leave my kids again on the streets. So that was like a, a determining factor for me, not leaving them. I really applaud you because not a lot of people have self-discipline or willpower. It's so much easier said than done to tap in, especially when there are things that are enticing and so easy to go back into old habits and old patterns. For me right now, I live in L.A. My eating lifestyle is so different. Every time I go home to New Jersey, I need to get ambassador wings. Like how I eat goes completely out of the window because I'm back in that home environment. And that's just with food. So I definitely applaud you on that because that really is what makes or break you. Nothing changes until you do. And as long as you kind of hold on to that and remember, sure, you can have that huge vision in your mind of how you're going to be a completely different person. But it is step by step. And you got to hold on to that discipline and those tiny steps so i actually had to leave the environment that was a part of the plan i moved away the temptations it was a lot of temptations people places and things that i was connected to so i had to move away i still visit a lot i'm near a lot I do a lot of work in community in my hometown but it's best that i not live there mm-hmm. and that's also amazing that you're respecting your boundaries because that's also hard to do for some people People pleasing is a challenge. The things I'm bringing up are things that I'm consistently working on. And this is why I love to do this show, to talk to other people that look like me or from the same place to be like, okay, okay, they can do it. I can do it. We're, We're doing this together. So who are some of your influences in the mentor motivational speaking face? For me, like as a man, men have ego and it's hard for some people to reach out for help. And I actually swallowed my pride and reached out to two men to assist me. One is Nehemiah Davis. He's out of Philadelphia. He mentored me for a while. He's in Atlanta now doing big, big things. And another is Sean Hart. He's from Elizabeth. He lives in Michigan now. I reached out to both of them from a distance, seeing the stuff that they was doing, the stuff that they was into. I just sent them a message. Both of them a similar message right within the same week. I want to say this was like 2017, 2018. I said, I love some of the stuff you're doing. I actually want to do some of the stuff that you're doing. And I asked, would you mind mentoring me? And they both said yes. And it's just been on since then. Like those are two heavy influences. Eric Thomas, the speaker, Eric Thomas. Mm-hmm. I met him a couple of times. I worked with him a couple of times at some of his speaking events. Those individuals were heavy, heavy influences, still remain heavy influences on me. How did you know when it was time to lean into purpose-driven work versus the traditional, conventional jobs? Because you mentioned that you were taking any jobs under the sun to build your employment history, and then you started to get into this. So when did that click for you? Or did you know that was something that you wanted to do when you came out? Yeah, so as far as employment, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do exactly. I I knew I wanted to work for myself. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, 
but I'm not interested in working a job for money at all. Like I'd rather work a job that I love for less pay than one that I don't for more pay. Right. So I was just taking these jobs and leaving them. Like I know this is a business and if they wanted to get rid of me, they would get rid of me in a second. So I did the same thing to them. I, I left that job, took another one, left that job, took another one, left that job, took another one until I was able to work jobs that I actually felt comfortable. Like I actually wanted to do the job that I'm not watching the clock, that I'm making a difference. So I want to say that came around, it kind of came early for me because when I first worked at the halfway house, that was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to help people get their lives together, help people see their kids, help people get out of prison. That's the stuff that I wanted to do. So I'm not interested at all in making a lot of money. I just want to be comfortable, you know, make enough money to take care of my family. And I'm good with that. I also think when you lean into community or purpose-driven work, that the money will come like you'll be blessed. That's what I tell myself. I agree. I agree. I agree. How do you stay grounded and energetically protected while still being nurturing and empathetic to this community coming out of prison? There's a lot of things that people may be dealing with mentally. It could be whatever they went to prison for or the environment that they're going back into, even with the youth in Elizabeth. I mean, I love it. I had an amazing time in Elizabeth. I had good grades, but I also know that there's another side of Elizabeth where people are not doing those things. And to immerse yourself and to be that mentor, you really have to tap in with them. But that stuff can be heavy. So how do you stay grounded and energetically protected? Man, that's a tough one. For one, I want to say, I remember a couple years ago, maybe about four years ago, I apologized to my family because I kind of immersed myself into community so hard that it was taken away from my time with my family. So immediately after I recognized that, I, I switched things up. And I'm very purposeful about balancing my family and work or family and community. I always want to make sure my family, uh, everything that's going around in, in the family environment is taken care of too. My kids are good. My fiance is good. Everybody. But as far as trying to stay grounded, I live like, like an hour and a half away from Elizabeth. That ride home, I do it like three or four times a week. That ride home from everything that's going on there to me getting back home and hearing the birds chirping because I come from Elizabeth where we heard the ambulance and, you know, the fire engine and just all the city noise all day. Mm -hmm. Then I go home and I hear the birds chirping. And I'm thankful and prayerful that I get a chance to hear the birds chirping and smelling the good air and the grass cut and all of that. You know, I came from where there's only grass between the concrete. Like, I never had grass coming up, you know. So I'm blessed for being able to make it out of those circumstances. And my plan is to take as many people as I can with me, not so much out of the city, but out of the mindset. Because mm -hmm. if you're not disciplined to not have the street mentality, it doesn't matter where you move to because you're just going to take it wherever you go. So helping people change their mindsets and how they view life, how they view the city, just their perspective on things. Do you do any grounding practices with the people that you mentor that are living in those areas that, that can't necessarily escape to the suburbs? What I do is even like with the kids that I mentor, my mentoring program, Sons of Someone, we take them outside of the box. 
We take them outside of that mentality. We show them different things. We took 50 kids to the Bahamas for a mission retreat just to show them what other cultures are like, how people survive in their culture, how, how they live, different ways to make money, entrepreneurial skills, like not just teach them how to fill out a job application, but teach them how to create their own jobs, create their own positions, create their own income. Because a lot of people think when they need money, they need a job. No. When you need money, you need money. You need income. You don't need employment. You just need to know how to create finances. Like, So I, I try to teach them. First of all, I show them a different world. Like, I'm trying to show them, like, all right, you got some kid that only know basketball and football. All right, let's play pickleball. Let's play soccer. Let's play tennis. Let's play, let's shoot pool. Let's just try to tap into something that they'll like, and it could be life-changing. I also saw that you did a college tour with the students. That's one of the things that I'm super duper proud of. Me and a young lady, Brenda Phillips, put together. We did it a few times already. The last one, which was in April, we went to eight HBCUs, all the way from Delaware to North Carolina, Howard, Hampton, Morgan, Norfolk, Delaware State. I know I'm missing a couple, but that is life-changing for me as an adult. Every time we take the kids on a college tour, it's always like quiet and kind of dead in the beginning. And then as soon as we hit certain campuses at certain hours, it's like, I want to go to college. You got kids mm -hmm. that, that only went on a tour because their parents made them go on a tour. But after we hit certain colleges, they on Instagram, following the colleges, following the facilities, following the athletic departments, following the sororities of the fraternities. Like once they get to see the inner workings of how we go into the dorms, we go into the facilities, we eating in the cafeteria, we checking out the academics. In April, we took 30 kids, we took 15 girls, 15 boys, and they was from 18 different high schools all throughout New Jersey. Like they barely knew each other when we started the tour and at the end of the tour, everybody was family and friends. Life changing life-changing. Yeah, I did that my senior year. I went with the NAACP chapter. Shout out to Sakina mm -hmm. and John. He passed away. And Jeremiah Grace. We had so much fun. I always knew I wanted to go to an HBCU because I loved school days. So I'm like, that's for me. I'm doing it. But I didn't know which one I wanted to go to. And we went on that college tour and we did the same. We stopped at Morgan, Delaware State, Howard, we got to Hampton, we did North Carolina, we went all the way down to Georgia. And it's so true, like, just once I got to Hampton, I knew. I was like, oh, yeah, this is me. I love the water. But everybody was feeling that way when we got to certain schools. Everyone was like, okay, I'm going to go to this school. I want to go to the bookstore. I'm getting my sweatshirt. And it really does change your perspective. And I thought that that was amazing for all of us to do like me and my friends. And a lot of people actually applied to those schools and ended up going to those well, schools. I definitely would love to, please let me know ways that I can contribute. I love doing community work and I love being from Elizabeth and I love having gone to an HBCU. And I do try to figure out ways to kind of tap in. I try not to do so many things that's California based because I'm a Jersey girl and I'm like, oh, okay, like I live here. So yes, please let me know how I can be involved. Actually, what are some ways that people listening can get involved in some of the work that you're doing? Follow me on social media because sometimes I'll just come up with stuff like, 
one of the things that I enjoy doing is creating programs. So every once in a while, I get somebody that reach out to me and be like, how can I help? And I remember one time, one of my friends, he does construction and he was like, man, I want, how can I help? Is there any way I can help donate? And I was like, let's create a construction program for the kids. I'm good at organizing the curriculum and making the curriculum. I don't know nothing about construction. So you have to fill in those slots and we created a construction program. We had 20 kids. We got the tool belts and every tool that they needed and taught them how to do sheetrocking, how to do flooring. And we did a 12 week program and some of the kids ended up working on the sites, making money doing construction. I did the same thing with a young lady who owns a beauty salon. We did a program, the business of beauty, teaching the young ladies the business of beauty. I did a hair breeding course. Like if, if I got a friend that is in a career and we could put something together to teach the kids, I, we just create the programs. That's, that's just something I love doing. I love that. That's awesome. I like that you have the opportunity to always be creative and tailor it to whatever's going on, like who comes to you. There's a lot of things that we don't think about in terms of careers and things. So I think that that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. So what does success look like for you? Success to me looks like the people that I work with being successful. That's what success looks like for me. Success looks like me working with a kid who doesn't care about school and starts caring about school. Success looked like somebody who coming home from 15 years in prison, never had a job, been working for five years. You know, when the people that I work with, the people that I mentor, their testimonies is my success. They're overcoming, they're striving, they're making it. Their success is worth more than money to me. What's one thing that you want listeners to know about your reintegration work with ex-offenders? Because they're both the youth and the ex-offender, like demographic, those groups are often both misunderstood. Right. So every year you have thousands, millions of incarcerated individuals coming home. A lot of them have nonviolent offenses. A lot of them have offenses where, you know, they probably made a mistake one time or even a, somebody who made a mistake seven times. I don't know. I work with men and women when it comes to reentry. The first group of people that I worked with was men and women who were duly diagnosed, meaning that they had mental issues and substance abuse issues at the same time. And let's say you got a 45-year-old man, he never had a job, he has schizophrenia, and they like, all right, find this person a job. And I'm like, whoa, this is not, this is not an easy task, like, right? So developing curriculums is something that I love to do. I'm a credible messenger being as though I, I've been through the system myself and I have reached areas of success since then. I really, really love changing lives and changing perspectives, right? So like I said, you got men and women, millions of men and women coming home from prison. They just need guidance. They just need a way. They don't really want to go back to jail. They don't want to have to rob people. They don't want to have to scam people. They don't want to have to sell drugs. If they knew a different way to survive, if they knew different ways to get money, I'm pretty sure they would. So I love to teach people different ways on how to make money, how to advance your career. And I'm always like, whether it's going into a tree or going back to school, getting your degree, 
These are all things that I did. So like a person coming home can't tell, it's hard to tell me what you can't do, right? I have seven felony convictions. I'm doing a lot of stuff. So you coming home with one, two, three, four convictions and you telling me what you can't do. I'm telling you what you can do because I did it. <laughs> what advice do you have for anyone who aims to be a community leader like yourself? I would say, number one, be genuine, be yourself. The community is a lot of roles in a community that we need people to assist. I would say start in your local community. Like if you want to work with kids, start with your kids, start with your family, start with your cousins, start with your nephews, start with your nieces, start with the local church, start with the local rec center, start helping there, ask the people there how you could help, what can you do to help. Reach out to the people that you see that's doing work in the community. Volunteer, because that that was like my secret sauce, just volunteering my efforts. Once people see that you're doing stuff and you're not getting paid for it, they know that you really, like, it's really About some type it. of, yeah, like, you really doing this because you want to do this. Like, you really could be on a corner, but no, you over here helping these kids. So I, I would say start local first and start small and be a presence on social media. Let them know what it is that you want to do. There's a lot of people that will help you. When we started Sons of Someone in 2014, it was just a group of guys who just wanted to help. They wanted to help the kids. They just wanted to be a part of something. And look, this year coming up is going to be our 10th year doing this. We never got paid for this. This was something that we just wanted to help our community. So I would say be genuine. Be genuine and network. Network with the people that's already doing the things that you want to do and volunteer your services. That's awesome. Okay, looking back on your career, what's an affirmation that represents your experience? I could just say this with one word, perseverance. Because I could have quit a long time ago. I could have quit a lot of times. I could have went back to the streets. It's easy to be a part of negativity. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. Like it, has, it takes no effort. I wanted to change the world in a positive way. And that's what I'm doing. Even my friends that's immersed in negativity right now, when they see me, they kind of straighten up. Like they know certain things that I'm not with and I'm not a part of. It doesn't make me less cooler than anybody else. I think I'm cooler than them now because I don't do a lot of the stuff, the negative stuff. So the positivity is kind of infectious. There's a lot of people that they see me doing some of the things and they ask like, yo, what you, how you do? Right, come on, let me show you. We just, let's come on. Easy. We over here, 7.30, Tuesdays, every Tuesday, just come by. <laughs> nice. What's next for you, Antoine? What's next? So recently I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements and I've been creating curriculums for different programs. One of my goals is I want to be the keynote speaker for my high school's graduation. And the other goal is to provide my mentorship curricula throughout high schools, elementary schools, where I know that the curriculum that I created is changing lives. Is there anything that you have to do for that, like a certification or are there any trainings that you do? I know a lot of your work comes from your experience and being a presence, but there are some things that you can do to add on to your skill sets. Do you do any of those things, take any courses or get certifications? 
Yeah, yeah, always. I'm always at different conferences, at different trainings, because with a lot of the work that I'm doing now, a lot of things getting updated, like a keyword right now is social emotional learning, right? It's a lot of the stuff that as a mentor that I've been doing or we've been doing, but being certified in social emotional learning, learning how to teach it, how to teach it to different cultures, because Social emotional learning is really a cultural thing. It's different ways to teach different people from different demographics. So I wanted to be able to teach a Caucasian kid in Wisconsin and a African-American kid in Baltimore and be able to reach them the same way. That's awesome. I love that. That makes me so excited for you. I can definitely see that happening. I love that. Okay, we're almost near the end of the interview. I wanted to know... Was there anything else that you wanted to share with the listeners or if you had any questions for me about anything? I just wanted to share my son, the summer program, super duper proud. I have five men that we've been working for the last 10 years, volunteering. I didn't really know these guys before we sat down at that round table and and got this thing started. I just want to continue with Sons of Someone. I actually got a message from a guy from the UK, and I'm not really sure how he heard of Sons of Someone, but he was just talking about bringing an extension of Sons of Someone to London. That was just like super duper dope to me that he recognized the work that we're doing over here. As far as the HBCU tours, I want to go harder. Like I want to reach more kids and change more mindsets about high school because high school is not the goal. I'm not saying college is the goal, but I'm saying some type of higher learning after high school is definitely needed. So I'm pushing kids to either college, trade, or even the military. Just continuing to do the work. My mindset now is work smarter, not mm -hmm. harder, and make the most amount of money in the least amount of time. That's the goal right there. I want to be able to spend a lot of time with my family. I definitely know that you will accomplish that goal. You have accomplished so much, especially considering all of your circumstances. You find a way out of no way. So I know that you are close to accomplishing that. Thank you. Of course. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me on What's Mine is Mine. I think that your story is so important to tell. I Pray that the listeners are blessed. I know that they will be. And for those listening, I will put in the description all the ways that you can find Antoine and tap into the things that he's doing. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. I'll talk to you next time.